Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's recovery, sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy who does not actually work in the treatment field. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And today we're here with Basil. Hey, Basil. What's up? Hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. Uh, So we brought Basil on because we want to talk about the idea of getting involved in the work of treatment centers while also being in recovery and and how difficult that can be and what challenges it presents. And I, I think more and more people in recovery are finding their way into this field. And like, we want to kind of have a guide of like, Hey, what's some things from an experienced person that can help with that? Um, when I came into recovery, I remember I had, I got, I probably had like two months. I don't know. Maybe I had 10 days. Who knows? But I remember telling my sponsor, I was like, man, I want to be an addictions counselor, right? I want to help people. (laughs) And he, he kind of laughed at me and and poo pooed on my dreams. He was like, yeah, everybody wants to do that in their first six months. Like get over it, do something else. Don't fall into that trap. And then as I stayed around longer, there was very much this idea that I got and and it's not a, and 12 step idea, but the idea from the people in the program that if you go to work in addictions counseling or in treatment centers or anything like that, what you're going to do is confuse your recovery and your work and your work is going to become what you think your recovery is. And you're going to stop doing your recovery practices and you're going to use. And and I guess there had been instances of this and maybe many instances of this at some point. Um, And granted, this was quite a while ago, but I think now there's a fuck ton of 12 step people in recovery. Like, I don't think there's a shortage of us. I think, you know, we do make good helpers and, and, and the peer movement has involved us even more and made it more accessible for people to get into. Uh, so I think that thinking has changed. And yet I still do think uh, from what I've seen, at least it does create some unique challenges. And so uh, Basil's here because he's going to be our, our resident expert today. And I'm going to let Basil take over and, and tell us a little bit about his story that has him qualified to talk about this today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I don't know if I'm an expert by by any means, <laughs> but I um, you know, got into this industry. Um, first off, I'm somebody in long-term recovery. Uh, I got clean back in 2008. Uh, so I'm coming up on 13 years. So, you know, I've always been involved in 12-step fellowship. Uh, you know, I've always had a sponsor, went to meetings, you know, did, uh, you know, all those things that you know, I've always followed like that path of recovery. Um, so, you know, I'm somebody who's, you know, gotten connected throughout the great state of Maryland, you know, like all over, just like 12-step and like all, all over the state. So, you know, that's where I originally started with, you know, this entire, like, kind of, uh, I would call it space. Um, and then I was a construction worker for nine years. Uh, I did construction. I worked in uh, a, a union out of DC and, you know, I had a great life, you know, like I went through an apprenticeship, I, you know, um, 
I did well for myself. You know, I bought a house. I did all the things that we look to do um, to become like productive members of society. Um, you know, when I first got into recovery, I didn't have anything, you know, so it was like a total transformation of my life uh, in that time. And then somebody approached me that I was actually playing softball with is funny enough. Uh, like I, I once wanted to be a counselor, uh, but when I was working in the union, you know, we made good money. They were like, Hey, uh, you know, I was like, man, maybe I want to become a counselor. And I saw all the student loan that I was going to accrue. Um, I saw that I would actually start off maybe making like half of what I was making, uh, working in the sheet metal union. I had already, you know, um, established a life for myself where like I needed to make a certain amount of money to provide and, you know, continue to have the things that I wanted. So somebody approached me at a softball game that I played. I've been playing softball since I got clean. You know, you can have fun at recovery, but, um, you know, so he was like, Hey, have you ever thought about working in treatment? And I was like, I did actually think about working in treatment, but I need to make more money than I can make, you know, being a, a therapist. And uh, the the position was actually for business development. Uh, they some people call it community outreach. They call it treatment advocates. Essentially, it's marketing for a treatment center. You know, so um, in the twelve step fellowships, sometimes this can be like it's a very like uh, it's like it's like a lot. It's like a certain like uh, area of the industry where like if you're not very uh, careful and you don't understand like you know, uh, recover, uh, recovery and treatment are two totally separate things. It can really, it, it can damage people, you know? So, um, I got into that, into the industry, I started doing marketing and essentially my job was to get people into treatment, you know? So I, um, started, you know, just marketing and going out and really marketing is more of like a sales term. And it's like, it's like, I felt like I wasn't really like selling people on coming to treatment. I was more so would wake up every morning and think, I need to try to put as many people in treatment as possible. And like, that's my job, you know? So like, that's how I approach the job. Um, and of course, like it's, it's a production like area of the industry, you know? So if you're going out there and you're not producing, you know, uh, what they call clients, right. Uh, you know, you're not doing a good job, you know? And like, that's the way that, that you know, those are the terms that would be made like, like in a business setting. But like, I just think like, if I'm not getting more people help, then I'm not doing a good job of my job, you know? So it was like, when I got into the industry, it was more so like, it was a business, but it was a business of helping people. But when I first got clean, there was a guy that worked at the uh, halfway house that I lived at. And, you know, some people just have misinformation that like, you know, their job can be uh, service work or like, you know, some type of like selflessness, you know what I mean? And it's like, he told me that anything that you make a dollar for takes the spirit of uh, service out of what you're doing. Um, and, you know, I didn't really understand that until I was working at that same halfway house and I was making, I was a weekend manager making a hundred dollars a weekend. Right. And I didn't, and I, I wasn't doing it for the money, you know, like I was doing it because I wanted to like give back to the uh, place that like helped, you know, save my life. But it, there came a time where I uh, was like, I wish I was making $125 a weekend. You know, I was like, ah, this just isn't enough money for my time, you know, and like all the selflessness and, you know, wanting to give back for, for some reason, just like kind of like was like going out the window. So, you know, it's been a it's been a crazy ride since I've been working in treatment. I've only been working in treatment for three years. Um, my previous employer, 
I actually, you know, aspired to want to open up my own treatment center. So I did that back July of last year. So we've been open now for a little bit over a year, uh, you know, and we're doing well. But now I don't really have a whole lot of client interaction. I more so help bring the people in that are going to help the clients that are in our center, you know. So I'm more so of like a, I guess you would call it um, uh, a delegator or a navigator, you know, of sorts, like just making sure that we're bringing good people in um, that, you know, are in the industry for the right reason. They do say if you're in the industry and you and you don't want to help people anymore, you probably should get out of the industry, you know. So um, that's my qualification. And I probably ranted a little bit, but. Nah, that's yeah. great. That's great. All I could think when you were talking about uh, what you termed marketing was that somebody had put me onto some movie in Florida or the movie's not in Florida, but a movie about guys in Florida who were like yeah. chasing down bodies for the treatment centers and like they got bonuses or something. Apparently, I, I didn't yeah. know much about it, but I didn't watch the movie either. Obviously, I didn't take that recommendation, but I, yeah. was it like that? Like, do you do you really like chase down people to kind of get them in treatment? No, I mean, so in Florida, from what I'm told, I mean, the only time I've ever been to Florida is for vacation, you know, so I've never like worked there or, you know, anything like that. From what I'm told, I mean, I, like I said, I have ne never had any dealings of like with that like space of like patient brokering or anything like that. But patient brokering is also a very broad term you know like th there's different like variations of patient brokering you know that take place in the industry but what was happening on that movie i believe i heard about the movie but they were like paying for clients you know so mm -hmm. you know if i brought a client into a treatment center they would give me x amount of dollars for bringing that client in you know which is essentially you're like selling people i guess that mm -hmm. would kind of like be the way that it is but you know, uh, just from what I'm told, like they had like young kids down there that were 18, 19, 20 years old and they were doing this and they were all making a bunch of money. It was just like crazy, like what was going on down there. But I've never had any I've never gotten paid nothing but a salary, you know, so that's that's the only thing that I've ever um, experienced, like in this industry. But I have heard about it. So it's definitely like the dark side of treatment. Well, and it's, it's tricky to think about because like on one hand, okay, maybe this does seem like a, a shady practice, right? And on the other hand, it's like, is this the incentive we need to try to get more? Like if you get somebody into treatment and you got paid $2,000, I don't, I'm making all this up, right? Mm. But if you did and that person ended up like with a better life and, and not addicted to drugs and not homeless, like was there a downside to that right if that's what incentive like i I don't know like I, I could see how it could be shady but still be positive yeah the downside would be uh bending corners to do that you know so mm -hmm. like they supposedly were like giving people drugs uh, uh you know people that didn't really have drug problems they were sending to these places you know so once you start attaching money to like a person that's when you know ethics and you know, morals and values come into play where it's like, you know, people, people aren't like genuinely like getting everybody into treatment that needs to get into treatment, you know, or they're cutting corners in order to get that $2,000, you know, so it's like, you know, it can really just, it, it can take, it, take people to a dark place, especially when you're most people that are doing marketing are like people that are in recovery, you know, so mm -hmm. when you start like, putting people like in recovery and situations like that. I, I just think that it's just like bad all the way around. 
I think if somebody if somebody gets a salary, you know, you get a you know um, a reasonable salary that you know you can provide for your family, and you know if you do better, you can get you know of course raises to that salary like over time. But you know, I don't think we're not selling cars, you know. So it's right. like it's you know it's it's just a very it's a very delicate area of of the industry. Um, and I've heard in other states they still give like bonuses and things like that. But in, in the state of Maryland, I'm as far as I know, I'm, you, you're not allowed to give any type of like bonuses or you know incentives to like get people into treatment. Well, and and if you know you have a thousand dollar bonus to give because somebody came into treatment, why not pay their way through their recovery house after they finish your program, right? Like, why not use that money to further their course? Yeah. Well. It's funny because it's it's such a like I've learned over time, like working in business development and owning a treatment center now, it's a business, you know, so it's like you cannot ever be mad at people for approaching it like a business. But the best businesses that are in treatment are ones where people get help, you know, so right. if somebody is not getting help, your business model is, is, you know, it's no good, you know, and the certain treatment centers are different, like at my treatment center. If somebody comes in and, you know, they, for whatever reason, uh, they don't have any insurance, they can't get state insurance, maybe they're out of state resident, you know, and then they're unable to apply for like Maryland Medicaid or something like that. We'll scholarship those clients, you know, so we'll, we'll just do like free treatment. And that does not, isn't for everybody. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that I'm like out here, like, you know, uh, like the second coming of Christ or anything like that, you know, but, you know, we try to help when we can, you know, and there's other businesses where if you don't have insurance, you can't pay, you can't stay you know, which is okay. You know, like I can't sit here and be like, these are bad people, you know, because they're approaching the business in a different manner, you know? So it's, it's really taking the recovery out of the business is what people have, people have problems with, you know? So if you have a therapist and they think that their job is their service work or they're like giving back, sure. Like their job is to help people, but from a recovery standpoint, they're, that they would be in a very bad place in my mind. That's interesting. I'd actually argue that with you, but maybe we'll get to that later. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So when you were finding people that needed treatment, right, which seems like it could be an idealistic thing from your standpoint, like, man, I'm trying to help people get into treatment and also could, you know, from maybe somebody else that's not, that's looking at it more like just a job and they're saying, oh man, I need to find people so I can get paid to get them into treatment. Like, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, right? No judgment here. But no, like, you're fine. Were you coming across people that were coming to meetings that were still using that you were like, man, you know, I, I know a place that can help or like, how do you navigate that without, uh, I guess, messing up the way you feel about how you're practicing principles around your 12 right. step program, right? Are you like, just not forceful about it? Like, hey, this is an option if you're interested or, or what ways did you keep that separate and okay for yourself? So I never, when I share in a meeting uh, or if I like, am I sharing at a meeting or uh, if I'm at a meeting, I'll never share what I do for a living. So I'll never say like, I'm a marketer for a treatment center. So like, if you know anybody that needs to get into treatment, <laughs> get my number after the meeting. Right. You know, so re- and really like, I don't, I do that for myself because like, if I don't have separation between like my job and my recovery, like I'm in a bad place. You know, if I'm, if I'm praying on meetings to like find people to get into treatment, that's when like ethically and like 
you know, uh, just morally, it just becomes like it becomes like a very sticky situation. But most people just knew what I did for a living just because like, you know, we're Facebook friends, we're friends. They know that, you know, I'm a marketer. I help, you know, I'm a treatment advocate. I help get people into treatment, you know. So if one of their loved ones or, you know, one of their friends or themselves, for instance, wanted to get into treatment, more likely they would reach out to me on social media. They would call my phone, you know, and they'd be like, hey, you know, Basil, uh, I'm looking to get into treatment. Can you help me? And like, I would say, yeah, I can help you. But like where the where the thing comes in where people don't really understand is, is that just because somebody calls your phone to get into treatment, not everybody can go to the treatment center that you work for, right? So what happens is, is when the, when your morals and your ethics and all that comes into play is when you don't help the people that call your phone, right? So mm-hmm. I've helped more people that have called my phone get into other treatment centers than the one that I work for than the one that I work for, you know? So like, if you're, if you're going to be able to like go home at night and feel okay about yourself, like you need to help everybody that calls your phone whether they can go to the treatment center that you work for or not. And that's just the way that I've always approached it. I, I spent some time working with a place that helps people find treatment centers or, or whatever kind of recovery version they're looking for. And I think one of the challenges for me in it, I don't know, I didn't struggle with it a lot, but I could see where some people would. And, and maybe I didn't struggle with it because I don't know a ton about these particular treatment centers that I was helping them get into. I feel like working for one specifically, you would definitely know a lot about what went on there. I feel like that could be a struggle if you, I don't know, knew the success rate was low or they had some practices that maybe didn't line up with 12-step because a lot of treatment center practices aren't necessarily exactly what we talk about in our recovery program, right? Mm. Like that can get interesting knowing you're sending somebody in or feeling like you're sending somebody into maybe not the best information. Did you ever encounter any of that? I tried. I've said, I would say 95% of the places that I refer people I've personally been, and I can say I've vetted the programs. Um, I want to try to send, I w- like by all means, like, you know, have I done that every single time? No, I haven't, you know, because sometimes like the window of opportunity for people to want to go into treatment is very small. So for me to be like, I've actually never been to these treatment centers that I can get you into right now. And like, I'm not going to send you there because, you know, I I would feel wrong not getting them in there and then getting a call the next day that like they overdosed and died. Then, you know, just getting them in there and just, you know, doing my best essentially. Right. But Like, I want to send people to places that I would send my family members. Like, that's the way that you have to, when you're in marketing, like, if you're sending people places where you wouldn't feel comfortable sending one of your loved ones, that's when it can start weighing on you a little bit. And you're like, ah, you know, I'm sending people places that I wouldn't even send, you know, somebody I don't like. Right. Because not all treatment centers, not all treatment centers are the same. And, you know, not to, I think there's more good treatment centers than bad treatment centers. I would like to believe that, you know, but there's some places and we're not even going to say bad treatment centers. I would say not good for that individual, right? So like, if you've been doing this long enough, you should be able to have a conversation with somebody, figure out what their needs are, figure out what they're struggling with, and then make a decision on where to send them. Not just say like, hey, like, because it's not like a one size fits all. It's just not, you know? So there might be somebody who is totally against 12 steps. They don't want 12 steps at all, right? am I not going to help them? Cause they don't want to go to, they don't want to participate in 12 steps. Like now it's like, now be, now you have to like separate yourself out of a 12 step fellowship where we're, we're taught like, you know, uh, like this is what works for me. 
I know 100%. I need 12 steps. I need the fellowship. Like that's the suit that I found that fits me. Right. But from a treatment standpoint, somebody might be wanting to do more so like, you know, one-on-one therapy, you know, or they might, you know, find uh music more therapeutic. Like I, I don't, you know, I need to like figure out like what, what approach is this person trying to do? Because like, I, some, I believe you have to meet people at the place where they're at. You know, I can't try to like force feed something down somebody's throat. I need to put them in a place where they're hopefully going to succeed and give them the best opportunity to like, you know, get recovery. Yeah. And I think there is a belief sometimes, at least in our area, like the, the sort of what I'll call the high dollar hoity toity, you know, treatment center is the best option. And I don't know that that's always the case, um, as we've seen with individuals. And I think that's where the client brokering gets dangerous. It's like if you're getting incentivized to send someone to a place just because they're paying bonuses, that's different than trying to match someone up with the best treatment center available. Um, I know around here, there's a couple different treatment centers that offer different, like you said, different versions of not versions of recovery, but different pathways of recovery. Some deal more with mental health issues. Some are, are better for that stuff. And being able when someone comes in to send them to the best possible treatment center is more important than the one that's offering the most benefits. <laughs> Correct. I, I I believe that to be true as well, you know, but not everybody that works in this space is in recovery, you know, so their, their standpoint and their view, like you're somebody in long-term recovery. So is Jason, you know, like the, we, we tend to view things maybe from a different telescope a little bit, um, you know, where it's not all just like business, 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 you know, like, um, you know, some people will approach it where there's tons of good treatment centers, right? I'm going to refer to the places that I work with. That's how they're going to approach it, you know. So they're going to have this, you know, uh, big like uh, like group of people that they refer to that are all good treatment centers, right? But they're not going to refer outside of that group of people because they don't work with those other people, you know. So there's tons of like the the business of treatment is so much different than like recovery, and I think that if people aren't educated on like the industry then they're going to be, you know, they're going to more than likely just have like a very uh, shallow view on like what we do, you know, because I've felt that before too, where people are like, oh man, you're just making money off the backs of addicts. You know, like I've heard that numerous times, you know, that like I'm making money off the backs of addicts and it's like, okay, would you rather somebody who's in recovery be working in the field and doing what we do? Or would you rather have some, somebody who's not in recovery? doing it you know and that's just like a question that people need to ask themselves is like who do you feel more comfortable i just want good people doing it at the end of the day right like we want good ethical providers who are doing the right thing and they're not cutting corners they're not taking shortcuts like that's what we want you know i i want to commend you for being able to do something that you said you were doing which was you know guiding people to the recovery method that seemed like they wanted right or or that was appropriate for them in talking with them i i get the idea and this isn't a a knock against the program but i do feel like most of the people including myself that i've interacted with you know over my time around the 12 steps we even even in ourselves right we get this idea of how it worked for us 
and we take that to be how it has to work for everybody, right? Even down to the way like, well, I worked the 12 steps out of this book. And so if you're doing it that way, that is definitely not going to work for you, right? And, and so to be able to take that idea of open-mindedness that there's a lot of paths to get to the same place, right? And take that into some things that maybe our program doesn't really look highly on, I think is incredible, uh, because it's something I, I'm like just starting to get better at at times in my life. And, and I guess along with that uh, statement, like, were you working at a place that provided um, medically assisted treatment methods when you were trying yes. to get people in? Yes, I was. I was. So I worked for, you know, a company that owned multiple treatment centers throughout the country. And yes, we, they provided uh, MAT, you know, they had MAT tracks and i when I first started in the industry, I felt some type of way about that, you know, because mm-hmm. I initially was working for an abstinent based program, you know, where you had to be off of everything in order to come into the treatment center. And then that shifted as I had been in the industry for a little while. But I mean, the way, the best way that I can break it down for people is like, I mean, I've been in recovery now for 12 years. So I feel like people experience trauma in recovery, especially with like the state of addiction and where things are now. And I would much rather have my dead friends on Suboxone than, you know, in the cemetery, you know? So it's like harm reduction only, like people don't really feel it unless they've experienced it, you know? So it's like, nobody's going to really understand harm reduction like we do, right? Because like y'all are both in recovery. I'm sure you would need more than two hands to count all the people that you've lost, like in this process, right? So would you rather them be on Suboxone or be trying to like shove, you know, abstinence down their throat? You know, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to, because this is the thing also, if I tell somebody you need to be abstinent and then they go out and they overdose and die, like then what? Right. They wanted, they wanted to be on Suboxone, you know, who am I to tell somebody what they should be doing with their lives and how they should be approaching like their recovery? You know, I know what's worked for me and I always stand by that, you know, which is abstinence. That's what's worked for me. And like, that's what is going to continue to work for me one day at a time. But I can't force that down somebody else's throat. The the longer you, I guess, stay around the 12-step world and have this more open mind to the harm reduction methods, right? Let me not say that. I'm going about this the wrong way. The longer I stay around this 12-step world with this open mind, to, to the harm reduction methods. And I don't even like the terms harm reduction, just to these other recovery modalities, whatever we want to call it, right? The more I feel like a lot of the 12-step world and its population are, or, or just its language is like so shame-based and pushes people further away from the connection we need to find healing right and and it's a struggle for me honestly at this point in my life to i feel more disconnection from my program because i just feel like so many people are holding to these i want to call them old ideals but other ideals of things that i don't think are helping necessarily anymore and that's become trickier for me have you found that in your exploration because of your job like of all this new information and these new statistics and new research and new science have you found anything like that like does it hurt you to go into a place that you feel maybe isn't helping people as much as we'd like uh 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's like, you know, it just depends on who you're talking to. You know, it's like, I don't want to generalize, you know, uh, these huge fellowships that have millions of people in them off of like, you know, the, the words of like a couple of people, you know, like, I don't think that that's really fair to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's like, we hear, we hear those things a lot louder than we hear, hear the good things, you know? So it's like, mm. if somebody is running around and saying like, y'all are doing suboxone, like that's crazy. Uh, you know, you're basically just like a drug mill, you're feeding them drugs, you know, you're not getting them any help. Uh, you're doing this, you're doing that. Like, we're going to hear that a lot louder than, Hey Jason, like, thank you for helping my loved one. Like they're doing well today, you know, even if they are on suboxone, they have a job, they're going to school, you know, they're, they're back with their children. Uh, the reunited with their family, you know, things like that. That's that's going to be a lot less loud than y'all. Y'all are uh, force feeding people suboxone and you're, you're doing this and you're doing that, you know. So I've kind of had to like block it out a little bit, like with my own personal recovery. Um, but then I also, you know, I, I'll experience experience judgment just by being a, a treatment center owner, you know, like at, you know, just where I'm at, like in my life, you know, like now that I own a treatment center. And I think those voices are a lot louder than the good ones too, of like, you know, Basil, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we're also doing a, a whole lot of good in the community, I believe, you know? So uh, it, it's a very, I mean, we could probably sit there and talk about this for hours and hours, but <laughs> hopefully our fellowships do get a little bit more open-minded to just like loving people with where they're at and like not using the shame-based language that we use as far as like, you know, uh, maintenance and like not clean and, you know, sh shouldn't celebrate or, you know, uh, things like that, you know, like we, we would have to really kind of like tread back and, you know, look at some things in our literature and, you know, like the things that, um, like, you know, we express from a 12 step fellowship standpoint is like the world is changing, you know? So it's like, as the world is changing, like we have to adapt, you know, like, I, mm -hmm. I think, certain forms of MAT, there's more deeper conversations than others, you know, like they have Vivitrol now, you know, they have um, uh, Subutex, you know, they have a lot of different forms of MAT now. I mean, now we have medical marijuana, you know, that's like a whole entire other conversation that we have to have. But I don't feel comfortable telling people on what they should and shouldn't do. I don't, I don't like to do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a professional, you know, like, uh, I'm not a medical professional, right? So I refuse to tell people what they need to do. Like, all I can tell you is what's worked for me. And if that's not what you want to do, that's okay. You know, like, you got to do what you got to do. But like, I would not tell people what they need to do. Awesome. Awesome. I, I think that's a very diplomatic answer, but also a good one. Uh, <laughs> so tell us about your treatment center. Like, what inspired you to open it? What's it like? What do you do there? What What's going on? So it's called Elevate Recovery Centers. Uh, it's located in Glen Burnie, Maryland, out here in Anne Arundel County. What inspired me to do it? Um, of course, like I was working for somebody, you know, so it was like, I mean, I think most people in their minds are like, they have like some type of like entrepreneurial spirit. They're like, hey, maybe one day I could do this or I could do that, you know. Um, so, you know, it just started really weighing on my mind because the area that I live in, they don't really have any treatment centers, you know, and it's the biggest city in Anne Arundel County. It has one of the biggest opioid problems. So I saw the need for it in the community that I live in, which kind of like sparked my interest into pursuing it. Um, 
and then yeah i mean i who doesn't i mean if you're somebody in recovery like you kind of get the opportunity to have the autonomy on how you can build your program so like that also was kind of attractive as well and then just from a you know professional standpoint you know it's continuing to grow within the industry you know hopefully <laughs> but um you know our treatment center we do um iop we do php iop and op partial hospitalization program intensive outpatient and we do outpatient and we also have our omhc so we're doing like true mental health um people who have like intense mental health issues we can help as well uh we have about nine therapists uh we have some social workers on our staff we have um addictions counselors um we have uh case managers uh like basically like if people were going to start from us from our most intense program down step down to our you know when they're you know about to step out of our program um, we meet people where they're at. Um, typically, you know, people start off in our PHP program. Um, they're just starting. Uh, we're trying to incorporate, you know, uh, healthy habits like, you know, getting them to go to meetings, um, you know, them getting out and getting to the center every day. We're setting them up with um, a substance therapist and a mental health therapist. So, you know, they're starting to get like that, you know, uh, outside of the fellowship help that, you know, a lot of us need, you know, like I, I think that's become like a new uh, wave of things as well. It's like an extra layer on your recovery um, to be connected with a therapist. And it's actually, what I believe is it's like a healthy habit, you know, to like go to your therapist, to, uh, you know, get that third party um, perspective, you know, uh, that most of us need, you know, and they say anybody who's in this industry should have one. So that that's what was told to me is that anybody who works in the industry should have one. So um, and then, you know, they would step down from our partial hospitalization to our intensive outpatient. Um, and then they would all together, it's about six months. Um, we're really just trying to like give them some healthy habits, uh, as far as like, you know, I mean, I'm in a 12 step fellowship, right? So in a perfect world, we would lead them all to 12 step fellowships and they would all get sponsors and go to home group and, you know, do service work and things like that, you know, but, um, really we're just trying to like the full picture is like to understand that like you can live a life clean and sober, you know, out here in the world and, you know, you can be happy, you know, um, without the use of drugs. I mean, that that's really like what it boils down to, but like we do like uh, yoga, we have um, vocational services where like we help them with like resume building, things like that. Um, if they need food stamps, we'll help them apply for food stamps. Um, we work with, you know, housing all over the County. So somebody needs like housing, you know, we're able to kind of like navigate that for them and see like, Hey, like, can we find somewhere that has uh, funding? You know, if they can find somewhere that has funding for their housing. We're able to apply for funding, hopefully in turn, get that funding for them. A lot of people that come to us are indigent. They have absolutely nothing, you know? So that's been pretty cool to watch like people's uh, transformation of coming in with like nothing, you know, we've only been open for a year, so we haven't been open for a super long time, but you know, we have had the opportunity of watching people come in with nothing, you know, get their start at our center, you know, continue on. And like now they have their own place. They have a job, you know, like they're involved in their recovery and they're doing the right thing. Um, and that's just pretty cool to watch. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a quick snippet of our program. You're always welcome to come by and check us out, too. You can meet all of our clinical team uh, and you can kind of see what we do. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies 
Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. How do you handle, you had mentioned, uh, I think before we started recording, that you, you know, you recover in an environment where you run into people who have been in or are in your treatment center or, or maybe even more close to home for you since you're not really working one-on-one with them on a daily basis is running into, you know, employees uh, in, in the recovery world. Like how does, how tricky is it to navigate that? Uh, it's a learning process. I'm just like learning how to deal with it now. But the cool thing about the area that I live in, I mean, I live probably 15 minutes from Baltimore city and then like, we're like, 20 minutes from Annapolis, it's like, you really can, I mean, you know, they say your recovery is your responsibility, right? So I I can go 30 minutes in like any direction and like be out of the area that I, that I live in, you know, and like, I've always really like prided myself on being of service in the community that you live in. Like, I believe that. I I think that like, if I was to move to Cecil County, that's where y'all are at, I think, right? Cecil County, I should get a home group in Cecil County and I should be in service out there. You know, like that's, what I've always believed. And that's just what's worked for me. Um, but it has become a little difficult to navigate as far as like feeling calm. and like, not, not that it's any of anybody's fault, you know, like, it's just, that's just the way that it kind of, uh, is, you know, like, I think that people should feel comfortable in the meetings that they're going to not that I feel like uncomfortable, but you know, I'm still somebody in recovery. I still have all of my same, like, I have a lot of struggles, you know, like I have things that I need to talk about and that I need to like get in touch with the group about, you know, but, you know, you just have to be careful on like what you're, what you're putting out there in a meeting with, you have clients and you have uh, staff and things like that, you know? So um, it's just, a, it's, yeah, I'm still learning. We can get back in like a year and I can <laughs> tell you more about how I've navigated it. Well, and and I think that's part of the, I don't know that the world has gone wrong, but part of the tricky part about living in 2021, right? If you think about the idea of trying to run for president and how, you know, the media outlets will scrape through or or your opponents will scrape through your history or, or maybe what you're going through today and present that as like evidence of why you're not good enough or, or something like that. We live in this environment of like, exceptional judgment and, and, you know, looking through people's discrete information for the little holes in their character. And like, that's just really not a world that I think is, is a healthy way to participate in. Right. If like, God, I, I honestly, like I've thought, I'm like, okay, what if I run for president? Oh shit. They're going to know that. Oh yeah. I don't know about that. Right. Like I, I don't even know if I want them to know that much less how they're going to take it. But it's sad yeah. because why can't we live in a world where like Basil's my boss and he runs a treatment center and also struggles with, you know, relationship issues? Like, why can't that be okay? Mm. Right? Like, why can't it be okay yeah. that, oh, shit, he fell short and, and stepped outside his relationship? I mean, that sucks. And it, but yeah. why do people need to be on these pedestals to be in positions uh, of helpfulness in the world? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, that's where recovery and, the industry they they bleed into each other you know so 
you know, if I have, which I have had since I've opened like personal struggles, you know, they're kind of like, in uh, it's like public knowledge, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. like public knowledge within the fellowship. And then in turn, it becomes public knowledge at my place of business, you know? So it's like, that's where it just sucks the most where it's like, dang, it's like, you know, it's like you get put on like the spotlight uh, where you feel like so much judgment and like, you know, you could be doing so much good for so many people, you know, but like these couple little things that, you know, you struggle with, you know, you just feel like people are like talking about you. And it's like, I always heard like, I'm not that important, which, you know, I still believe that I'm really not that important to where everybody's sitting at home talking about Basley, you know, but when you want to help people and then like, when, when you know you're helping people, you know, and then like, you're still catching like scrutiny of like, you know, people talking about you, whatever, like it can just affect you like on a more so of like a mental health standpoint, you know what I mean? To where it's like, I need to really like, ring it like rain it in you know and be like okay like my personal issues have been you know put into like a public space to where like that's not cool you know like regular people don't have to deal with that you know like i'm in i'm in na you know so it's like i know hundreds of people in the fellowship hundreds like uh there's tons of people that i know so if like most people that work in the industry are in the fellowship you know so it's like if there's something that is like happening, like in my personal life that I share that like whatever happens and then like it bleeds over into my work life. Like, I just feel like that's not like atypical of like most people's lives, you know? So it's like a different type of like dynamic that only people like us for the most part have to deal with, you know, like if, if I'm a construction, I found a construction company, you know, and I'm not in NA, right. And I, something happens in my personal life nobody hears about it you know like there's not like a slew of people that are coming you know people that you barely know that are like oh i heard this happened to you in your life you know so it's Mm -hmm. just you have to just be very prepared for like what you're going to be going into like once you go into it it doesn't feel good (laughs) (laughs) i bet i bet uh looking at it from so before I got involved anywhere in the the helping people get into treatment and stuff, I think I kind of thought of, you know, we, we take this black and white thinking. Some of us do. I definitely do. I'm like, it's black and white, right? Everything's black and white. Uh, treatment centers are evil. They're all about money. They're not really helping people. Their success rates are like 2%. You know, they tell you when you go there that one in 20 of you will make it or whatever they say, or they used to say at least. And... and just thinking of that as like almost the enemy. And so it would have been easy to look at somebody in a meeting who owned a, a treatment center and say, Oh, they're uh yeah, that's, they're, they're evil, right? They're just in it for the money. They don't practice principles. It's nothing, you know, I, I think you have a very, Oh yeah, man. I think most places are helping people and that's great. Right. I, I'm usually like the, the pessimistic guy of the crew for sure. But is there, anything you've run into uh operating a treatment center that you've been like man this doesn't feel like it's as good as i'd like it to be or i do feel like we're we're failing here that kind of rocks i don't i don't want to say rocks your recovery but sort of you know affects you and, and it feels like damn I, why can't we have a higher success rate or what are we doing and am i really doing enough good to justify this like does that ever occur to you so I mean, I'm always going to feel that way if somebody leaves us successfully and then they come back, you know, so like soon, 
you know, if they come back in a week or a couple of days, you know, like we've dealt with people that have successfully completed. And then, I mean, when you talk to them, you would have probably bet some money that they would do well, you know, when they left. And then, you know, you hear that they relapsed and they want to come back because they feel comfortable with us, you know, and it's like, I want to be able to, you know, we have a very, we have a policy on that to where like, we're not going to like be like the enabling parent, you know, to be like, Oh yeah, just come back. It's going to all be well. And then also from a, from an ethical standpoint, it's like, are we just going to just keep on coming, letting them come back so we can build their insurance? Like, you know, that that's essentially what we're doing at that point. If they're continuing to go back out, like they need to try something different. You know, mm-hmm. like if, if our program, like we'll take somebody back, like, you know, once, maybe twice, but after that, like, that's where like, and that's where like, sometimes you have to draw the line is like, look, like this isn't right. Like we're accepting somebody who has been with us tons of times, right? What would be the right thing to do? The right thing would be to change something up for them and not let them come back and like send them somewhere else. You know, that would, that, that would be the top one for me as far as like things that just don't feel right. Gotcha. I was just going to say, it sounds like, you know, treatment is a, is a business. I mean, we're in a capitalist society. We need money to operate. Businesses need money to do what they do. And if, I mean, I'm glad to hear someone pretty ethicals in the space, because if not, if there's a need, somebody will go out to fill that need. Um, but I think like any business, like you hope that you're dealing with a business that's practicing morals and ethics and values, you know, and I heard it actually from a guy that's a, a, sales car salesman early in recovery he's you know i said oh how's that feel you know being a car salesman with the negative sort of stereotype that comes with that and he said look i figured out as a car salesman like taking the principles of the program and applying them in my job actually has what's made me so successful he's like i i don't i'm not dishonest with people i don't try to bullshit them i come in i listen to what their needs are i try to honestly fit them into what works for them and you know and sure i make money at it but i'm doing it with morals ethics and values and he's been really really successful um and i think that sounds pretty important in the treatment field too it's like if you have people that are doing this business with morals and ethics and values, hopefully that they learned in recovery. Uh, that's a much better approach than just some big financial investment firm out there doing it for what's going to make them the most money at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And like, we all, this business, you have to be careful. You know, I, I just, that's the best way I can put it. You know, like me personally, I take my hands out of all like clinical things that are happening in our, in our company. So like the best way I can explain it is like, we have people come in, we do assessments on them, you know, typically like we'll do a phone assessment and then they're going to come in and do a real assessment, but they have to be accepted into our program, you know? So you have some businesses where the business side is more involved in the clinical side and saying like, they might not really be appropriate for our level of care, but we're going to accept them anyway. You know, so I've given autonomy to my clinical director. Where I said, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with, you know, us accepting or not accepting people because first off, I'm not a professional, right? So like, I never went to school. I don't know, you know, clinically what is best. I, you know, over time I've learned a lot of like, you know, things from the people that I've worked with, but me being the business owner, eventually, like who knows, maybe that might happen to me where I'd be like, 
this person really isn't appropriate for our program, but we'll accept them anyway, because like we want to, it's a real business, you know? So it's like, you have to like put like uh, layers of like security for yourself in place to where you don't find yourself in that position to where it's like, am I accepting this person because like it's what's best for them or am I doing it because this is what's best for our business? Uh, I ran into a guy, it's been a while now, but he was pretty high up in, in some treatment center in the Baltimore area. And he, he, I don't know. I ran into him at a meeting. He shared a great message. It was nice. But then he, I don't know, talking to some other people about him, apparently, you know, I, I mean, I guess I don't really need to have any judgment of him, but I ended up with one through some of the stuff I heard. They, they talked about him uh, having a pretty big ego and, and like he was a little older and got with a really young woman and, you know, carried himself in a certain kind of way that wasn't all that attractive, you know, and over time I started to see that. How do you fight that ego kind of stuff? Because I mean, look, we can talk all the good shit we want about spiritual principles, but at the end of the day, like I have an ego that comes out here and there or feeds off of certain mm -hmm. things in my life. And like, I need to actively be aware that that is a possibility and, and what kind of things I need to do to keep myself grounded. How, how much of a struggle has that been for you? Um, so for me, and I, I understand what you're saying. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, you know, but it, it sounds to me like it's just one of those things. Like I, I, I working in the field now and being in the position, uh, I, I don't know that I would believe that about somebody just by like the perception of like what I saw, like at a meeting or, you know, maybe the way that they talk or the way that they do things, you know, because um, I think sometimes the person doesn't change, the people around them change um, and the way that they perceive somebody changes, maybe because of what they have or, you know, what they do. So like I, that situation, I would probably just like uh, need to like see a little bit more like head on, but um, for myself, oh, of course, like my, my ego can take hold of me any time of the day. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, by nature, like I believe like my true nature is just like egotistical, self-righteous, um, you know, uh, arrogant, like all those things. Right. But being in recovery now for 12 years, uh, it's what those are one of the things that have made me the push people away the most, you know, and it's like being in this position and being in this industry, like the last thing that I want uh, is to end up alone. <laughs> and I think that uh, that's like where you end up when you start practicing those characteristics, not to say that my arrogance doesn't come out like at times where it's like, well, you don't know who I am and you know uh, all these things. But at the end of the day, somebody's position uh, or a title or whatever you want to call it, like it doesn't really, it doesn't determine what kind of person they are. It also isn't going to determine their happiness. It, you know, life is, it's, it's funny, you know, cause I mean, you have somebody that can make $10 an hour that is just make is way happier than a person that's making $500,000 a year, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a very weird, that's a, it's a weird, uh, not weird. It's just, a. have I've definitely thought about that a lot. Like since I've been, doing what I'm doing now um and yeah like that's I just don't want to be that person that like forgot where they came from and 
you know, thinks that they're better than somebody, you know, like, uh, cause that's, I feel like that's easy to happen. You know, it's like, Hey, like I own, I own a center. I have employees. I do this, I do that. And like, I'm, <laughs> right, there's nothing right. you can tell me, you know? And I just, I feel like that's a, that would be a very scary place to be in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned, you know, sometimes maybe having to, to get out of your area, to be able to share some things. And, and I'm wondering, you know, when you own a business, it, I think it's almost natural that some of your friends or, or maybe not somewhere between friends and acquaintances, people might want to work for you. Um, that can get tricky, right? Like if, if things come up between that relationship, that work relationship leads over into recovery. Have you ever found yourself uncomfortable at, at meetings just because of maybe some of the things that have happened or, or not wanting to go to meetings because of something like that? Well, like I said, I think uh, a lot of it is things that I make up in my mind. Maybe some of them may be true. Maybe some of them aren't true. But um, yeah, sometimes I think that people think differently of me because of like what I do now, you know, which I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want people to, you know, view me differently because of what I do now for, for a living. And, you know, what I, just what I do, you know, but, uh, yeah, like I felt like people like treat me different sometimes, or, you know, uh, I, I don't know. And it's like, it's the whole pedestal thing, you know, and you've probably dealt with it before too, Jason, you know, like just being around for a long time and people put you on this pedestal and it's like, like really like there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no pedestal you could ever put me on. <laughs> So I, I don't know. It's it's definitely been it's been eye opening. It's been a little difficult at times, but um, I think I'm getting better with it. Like every day. Would you say at this point? I, I know you're only a year in, but would you say at this point you feel like this is 100 percent the right path of action for you? You're super glad you did it. You 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 think it's really a benefit to the community, and, and you're thrilled to be a part uh, of something even with some of these drawbacks of like maybe the way people view you in recovery and stuff like it's still at the end of the day you go to bed and you think man I, I really feel like I'm doing something that makes a difference in the life of my community I do I mean I feel like not only for our, our clients but also for our employees um, I, I, that's another thing too like I love helping like the people that come in and our clients and things like that. But I also like helping our employees, you know, like I'm able to, like I'm an employer now. So um, I find a lot of joy out of watching our employees do well as well, you know, so where, you know, they're buying homes or buying a vehicle or, you know, um, getting their kids things for Christmas or, you know, whatever that might be, you know? So I do feel like, as a whole, like, this has been, like, a huge success, like, not only for the community, but for the people that work for us, but the, the struggles that I talk about, those are the, those are the things that, those are the only things that, um, really, I struggle with is my personal, my personal life, as far as the way things have changed there, um, that's, that's the biggest struggle, like, the, the business itself is, is great, you know, like, everything has went really well, and we're continuing to grow, and we're, you know, helping people, but my, my struggles are with, my recovery and how they, how my business has led over to that. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, you know, there's no uh, there's no treatment centers in Cecil County. When are you coming up here to open one? We we can set up a meeting, and I can come out there, and we can talk, and we can see what we can do. I got a feeling the county's going to have a lot of uh, pushback. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of pushback out here, too, you know, but, um, you know, you just have to – People are always going to push back on this for some reason. That's another whole conversation, you know, to be had. Uh, you know, we're just kind of, uh, you know, we're we're uh, stigmatized. You know, it's just like a stigma. On us. We're just like bad people sometimes and all this. Nobody wants it near their home until one of their kids dies from an overdose, you know, or one of their loved ones. That's how it is. Yeah, I, I frequently hear the we need these resources, but not in my backyard. That's always the way. Um, so I, I guess to kind of wrap this up a, a little bit, what what's the best practice or practices that people can uh, either know going in to working in the treatment field or uh, can put into place as they evolve in their work in treatment field that can help them? either keep their work and recovery separate or find a way to, you know, nicely tie them in together. I, I'm guessing like, you know, continuing to surround yourself with your close network that's not going to judge you and is going to keep you in a humble place is, is one of them. But like, what other stuff have you come across that's really worked for you to help you stay centered and balanced in your recovery as you, you know, work in this treatment environment? So for me, uh, it's been really taking care of myself. It's been the biggest thing. It's just like, you have to, if you don't take care of yourself, I, I just feel like you're, it's, it's never going to work, you know, because it's such a, uh, the industry is just such a, um, it, it can take a toll on, you know? So like, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're definitely putting yourself in a really bad position to where it's not going to end good for you. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's crucial. And, you know, we, we live in a world that talks about self-care a lot. Um, I think it's gotten a little uh, pop cultured where we talk about like bubble baths and lighting candles and stuff. And, and not to say that that can't be part of it, but I think a lot of my self-care is really work. Um, that I put in on a daily basis to keep me centered, right? It's that 24 minutes of meditation that I'm doing every morning. It's, it's knowing, uh, to sit still and feel if, uh, going to this, you know, birthday party is the right thing for me, or if I really need to sit home today and, and miss out on that birthday party, cause there's just some other stuff going on inside of me. And, and it's more the, the tough, decision and work like things that I actions I take right the self-reflection that we can do through the steps or the calling somebody when I need to talk about something or calling somebody to check on them it's the things that seem time consuming and work like but those investments in self-care have really been the best thing to help me stay centered as well so I, I can't say enough about you know that continued maintenance on our own self-care yeah I mean I've just creative ways to, you know, do like therapeutic things for yourself is all. I mean, I'm like restoring antique furniture. I'm, uh, I do CrossFit, I golf. I, you know, just try to do these things that kind of like can like slow things down a little bit. And, um, just get me into a better mental space because it, it's, it might be the, the hardest thing ever to do, do this job when you're not in a good mental place. You know, it's just, it doesn't contribute to you being in a better mental place, you know? 
Right, right. Absolutely. Well, Basil, man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your experience uh, with working in the treatment field. And, and man, I'm going to put your your business, if you want to mention the website and everything, I'm going to put that in the show notes for everybody to check out in case they're in the area. and Or maybe if they're not in the area and they want to see how a good treatment center runs. Uh, but yeah, tell, tell us like how to find the Elevate. So yeah, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're Elevate Recovery Centers. You can look us up. Uh, we're also yeah, like and share. And then uh, we're also on, um, you know, we have a website. It's ElevateRecoveryCenterMD.com. Um, you can look us up there. Uh, our website is actually under construction right now. But, um, you know, we have job postings on there. We, you know, have descriptive, uh, you know, portions of our program. Uh, our staff is highlighted on there as well. And, yeah, if you're ever in the area and you want to come check us out and meet the team, just call us and set it up, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get it set up. But you, you uh, should definitely come out, Jason, and check us out. Um, That's awesome. I'd love team. to. Yeah, and thank you so much for being a ethical, healthy voice in the recovery community. We know we need it. You know, we need ethical recovery centers out there. So keep taking care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'll do that. And thanks for what y'all do too, man. This is like definitely a, a like it, it was weird when Jason uh, reached out to me because I was like these are conversations that I have in my mind, like all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know who came up with like this uh, topic or whatever, but it's definitely, uh, it was a very interesting topic to, to bring up. Cool, man. Well, it's been great talking to you and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right. All right. You too, Jason. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Bye. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.